This is a Culture Inject production. Ladies and gentlemen, today I have the honor of interviewing an entertainment industry icon, a star of every medium and modality. This woman has graced the pop culture landscape with her soaring vocals, impeccable comedic timing, and inspirational songwriting. She has sailed the decades of the ever-changing behemoth called show business as a child star, teen idol, first lady, and now veteran. Important for us, she is graciously sharing her wisdom about not only making it in the entertainment industry, but also being in control of oneself and one's choices when opting for a career in the limelight. Her book, Saving Your Soul, is a must-read for anyone looking to pursue a career in the performing arts. From Hollywood to Bollywood, from the great white way to small town USA, I am humbled to welcome to the part of a fan cast, a light to shine, illuminates us all, Miss R&B, Rona Bennett. OMG for the intro, okay? <laughs> that was so amazing. True. <laughs> Thank you. Well, the book is amazing. I had so much fun reading it because, you know, I have aspirations of being in the entertainment industry and it was just such an eye opener. I read all of your books because first we have to give shout out to all of them. Um, there was my favorite, which was Beyond the Witch. There yeah. was Find Your, Find and Pursue Your Passion, even with a regular job, which pertains to, to me, definitely. Even Healthier for Less, which really pertains to everyone. Beyond the Fear, and like I said, Beyond the Wish, which was my favorite, but mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the glossary, I guess I could call it, when you kind of went into just the different stages of, um, you know, creating, of producing, of distributing, of outreach with the fans, promotion, so right. it's just a really great book, and, but really, um, that came in, I believe, June, I want to start at the beginning of the year, because 2022 was such a banner year for you, both professionally and personally. You embarked on a multi-city arena tour with your bandmates. And as we saw in Essence and Black Enterprise, those beautiful wedding pictures. Um, then, of course, Personal Power University, your school had its annual retreat. So just with all of that, it was just such a great year. How did you plan to um, continue that momentum into 2023? Oh, my goodness. I'm trying to power up right now, Matan. I'm like, slow down, sit down for just a second, take a breath. I'm literally fasting right now because I so needed it. And And because I'm fasting, my mind is clearer. I'm able to see where I need to tighten up within my personal world. I have the the vision and the tenacity and the diligence to kind of sit down and map out where I'm going for 2023. So it's just planning, preparation, and discipline. Discipline is going to be my ally to get a lot of the things that I want accomplished in 2023 done. Yes. I think we all need a little bit more discipline. I'll be working on that myself. <laughs> and then also in 2022, because I guess it might go into 2023, there was a song that in Vogue uh, recorded. We saw that and we haven't heard it yet. So is there anything you could tell us about that song that you recorded to produce it maybe? We loved the song, but you know how sometimes if you get in, well, I don't know, but when you get in the creative process and sometimes you can maybe overtouch something, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that we just ran into a space of maybe we need to go back and re- 
calibrate for how the song can be delivered. But in the meantime, we are getting back in the studio because we do have intentions of uh, releasing some more music. So that is coming. It's just a matter of finding that sweet spot for uh, what we all like and what we're ready to put our muscle and support behind. And will it be the usual collaborators or will you be working with anyone that you haven't worked with yet? Yes. Um, well, I think we're willing to stretch. We definitely have the people that we know um, that we've made really good music with before, but I noticed that we are willing to stretch. So we'll see what happens. It's still something that is uh, unfolding as we speak. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you for that update. And <laughs> now what's saving your soul? Um, it's is not autobiographical you are kind of like kind of maybe so a guy like you say on the the cover you're a mentor for navigating the music and entertainment industry at all stages of your career and so in that aspect you kind of bring yourself into the book but it's not necessarily autobiographical but there are certain anecdotes and things like that i because you know when i hear interviews people always kind of go through your resume which is just such a great resume that i kind of want to do that too but i want to kind of change it up so i'm going to first start with just the inception of the book and the creation because I remember when you first announced that you and your business partner were working on a book about the music industry I was very excited and I even remember like you I think on Instagram you shared pictures of your kind of retreat in Europe I remember those like uh like the streets that were kind of like lined with water I don't know how to describe it but you were out there working on the book and now um I've heard in other interviews you, you were talking about how that didn't pan out with the with your writing partner and so now you kind of took the book and changed it into saving yourself so could you tell us a little bit about how you're able to write a book about such an expansive topic yeah you know like you said i was initially going to do this with uh my buddy who's an intellectual property attorney slash entertainment attorney and a musician. And of course, I am a life coach and an artist. And we thought, man, what a great combination to kind of touch the industry in a way that hasn't been done. Um, and we noticed a void in the market. I mean, the last kind of comprehensive music book, uh, it would seem, was back in 2010. And so we were like, man, um, it would be nice to touch this from that perspective. But years later, and that was Florence, Italy, that you were talking about. We did, some <laughs> cool things, right? we did go some cool places to get this out of ourselves. But by the time we got to the end of the effort, we both realized that we were in two different places as far as our expression. We were following our outlines, but we were not in the same place of expression. And to be honest with you, when I went back and read everything that I had, maybe three and a half years later, after we had completed the process, I'm not even in the same space that I was in when I started writing the book. And so I ended up scrapping 75% probably or more of the book uh, back in the, towards the end of 2021. <laughs> Talk about taking years and then taking months, right? To like turn this book around. And um, when I went into my space to say, you know, well, if I do this myself, because I'm not willing to lose all this work and I know that there's a void in the market I started to think about it from the perspective of, you know, what artist is in the industry that has boots on the ground, if you will. You know, I'm not looking back at my work. I'm actually in it. Um, that's giving you advice and helping you to navigate the space because so many people are looking for mentorship or just direction. And I have been doing this for over 30 years professionally. So I figured, hey, I've got something to contribute to this space. And of course, my hard work 
you know, as far as life coaching is concerned, is something that I wanted to deliver too. And so after I came out of my little cocoon, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start kind of giving it a memoir touch, you know, instead of like a what you were saying, it's, it's like a memoir, you know, a little bit kind of mm-hmm. reflecting. But I wanted my reflection to mean something to the reader. I didn't want to just talk about myself for the sake of talking about myself. I wanted to talk about my experience in order to deliver a point or to get a message across or to share with somebody either my personal experience with it or living vicariously through something else to to convey something. So once I got into the process, my husband now uh, was listening to, because he would always listen to what I'd written. And he was like, babe, this is saving your soul. And I'm like, wow, well, that's a fantastic (laughs) title. And that further kind of tweaked my direction for what I wanted to do, because that's something that's a huge conversation out here, especially of late, you know, about people selling their soul in the industry and what that actually means. And um, if you, if like, what does that mean? How do I not sell my soul? What if I do feel like I've sold my soul? How do I get back to my authentic self? How do I take my power back? So saving your soul really touches on aspects of that. In addition to all the other things you mentioned, I mean, money management is huge for artists, I find, for creatives. I just wanted to touch on the things that I hoped helped us do better with what we had to offer and to protect ourselves while we're out there. And it is great. And like it, it, you cover a lot of ground. And so I saw the interview you did with Black Link magazine, and you stated that you're going to be adding to the book. And yes. yeah, so I, would that be an expanded edition or a series? Because for me, like I said, it's so expansive. And you, as a guy, you can touch on so many different things. Like just talking about selling yourself, and I don't want to get into too much of my conspiracy theory side, but there, like you said, there is a lot of talk about selling yourself in the industry and Illuminati and all kinds of things like that. But you being a child star and having seen that, like just that alone could be a own book. So is it going to be, uh, do you plan on it being a series or just expanding and adding additional chapters? How are you going to approach that? I mean, you're asking wonderful questions that I pretty much asked myself, but I really think I'm going to expand on the current book, but the name is going to slightly change. However, Saving Your Soul is still going to be a part of it. So I am in the process of that creativity happening through me and we'll see, but I do intend to expand on what's currently there because I was like, oh, what about this? Oh, what about that? Well, nobody's talking about this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'll be throwing those things in there. I'm, you know, pray for me because this book, was, <laughs> it was, it was challenging to get it out of myself, you know? So I was like, man, I know what I'd like to touch on, but it definitely takes a lot of discipline and and vision and stick to itness, if you will, to make it happen. I totally understand. I'm a writer, so I mean, I write fiction primarily, and just I never actually want to commit to doing a book because I mean, it could just take. I mean, some people it really does take twenty years, and there'll be some people who you know they'll they'll finally get it done, and the people are waiting for the next one, and then it's not another for decades just because it takes so much out of you, and that's fiction. But for you to have to be you know driving like being expository and getting information it has to flow and it has to do so many different things so I could just imagine like writing it kind of an instructional book how difficult that would have to be then having you know value as much value as it does so you did a really great job I wanted to like you know because it flowed very well I read it very quickly 
um, it was very captivating. And I thought when I got to the parts where it was going through, like, you know, a producer, or a role producer, crew manager, I was like, you know, this might drag for me, but the way you did it, it was very masterful. So kudos to you. And shout out to my editor too, uh, Davina Infusino, who also, I got lucky in getting an editor who understood the music industry. She wrote for uh, Rolling Stone and Mm -hmm. she's done all kinds of other stuff and um, being able to collaborate with her to help me to kind of, as she said, you know how you got a cat with fur balls and you want to see <laughs> that, little, that little comb and, and you got to comb out every little fur ball so that this thing, it purrs, you know? And so <laughs> <laughs> she helped me to make it purr, honey. Well, you know, it really did. Yeah, flow is so important. I, it, you know how sometimes you might read something and it feels like, well, that should have been here or that should have been our, well, what about, like, it just felt really well, everything felt resolved towards the end and it left you wanting more, which I think is always the most important thing um, when you're covering, you know, something as expensive as entertainment industry. I mean, it goes back pretty much since humans have existed and then the business aspect that goes back even further but it's always you know someone trying to get something so you just did a very it was very the depth that you that you and her unemployed kudos to you so the book opens with the death of Whitney Houston who as we all know she's just like one of the biggest stars of all time right um and it's a book about saving your soul so was it kind of a a subtle criticism, somewhat of um, a commentary on the trappings of fame and equating mm. success to superstardom and money. I wouldn't say it was a criticism. I would say it's an observation of what can happen. It's just one glimmer, glimpse, right, of a myriad of things that can happen to incredible artists, and and the, and it leaves us. Be, you know, begging questions like, well, what really did happen? Where did it, could things have come from? How did things start to spiral in some of our perceptions what could be considered out of control? Um, where were some missteps? I was hoping in addition to just propping her up as a huge inspiration for me as an artist, mm-hmm. that it it would push us all to just ask even greater questions of ourselves and of the industry and of the choices that we make to see what kind of results they bring. And if they're not being, bringing the best results, what do we do to change the landscape? What do we do to get better results? So it's more so an observation than a criticism. Right, because with, of course, the passing of Whitney and of you know, Michael, I remember when he passed away, like just how devastated I was. A lot of the the commentary is that, you know, it's the fame, it's the industry, it's the industry. And so that's why I think it's so great how you have in the book. So it's not just, okay, so there's the, just the actual technical aspect of, you know, creating the art. There's the business side, but then there's also incantations and eating healthy and being in a good mental state. Mm-hmm. Um, having good people around you. You can talk about, you know, doing business with friends. There's just so many different, you know, levels to just keeping yourself mentally healthy, mentally sound, spiritually sound, saving your soul. But yeah, like, I mean, you've been in the industry, so you kind of, I, I don't know, I just remember just the comments when, you know, we lose these huge stars and they're like these beacons of hope in our community. They just mean so much to us. But then, it, you know, people are pointing the finger at the industry. So I mean, I just, you know, think that's interesting that, you know, you hear it like, even in life it happens, but how people will get chewed up and spit out by the industry, no matter who they are. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, you got it. I mean, I think in the book I mentioned, um, your bottom line may not be their bottom line. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) So so you got to make you your bottom line, you know, and uh, sometimes that may not take you in the direction that you think you want, but it may save your soul. That is, see, that is, I mean, it's so deep when you think about, I mean, saving your soul. And some people, like, we could talk about the death row deal, like how you were able to walk away, if you will, from a contract where some people, you know, they would have, de- they would literally do anything for a contract, a record contract. So, how do you, I mean, you were, you know, just coming up, up and coming to have that kind of strength to say, well, you know what, this deal doesn't suit me. I'm not going to sign. Like, where did that come from? You know, um, I'm going to give credit to my spiritual walk at a very early age. When I was 18 years old and I moved out to Hollywood, as I say, where the big dogs play, Mm -hmm. one of my other major goals when I got there was like, ah, I'm free to go and explore God. What is God? Who is God? What, who, you know, what's my purpose? Um, Just to go down the rabbit hole, if you will, of self-exploration and um, spirituality, I allowed myself to pierce the veil of our reality, if you will. I went beyond what they told us life was all about. And I went to different places to discover it. Sometimes it was in what they considered uh, conspiracy theories, you know, or esoteric information. Uh, I, you know, if it looked, if I looked into another religion or spiritual practice like Buddhism or learn about Hinduism or, you know, um, I was not limiting myself to where God could be and where my breakthrough could happen, if you will. And so it took me on this fantastic journey of self-exploration and development. And then, um, you know, so then I also ended up attracting, I think, people that were similar, not necessarily the most scrupulous in some instances, but they at least um, um, were moving in a similar direction or they could relate to where I was or who I was or whatever. But I still had, you know, pitfalls along the way. Um, But I did have someone around me at that time that was pretty meticulous about reading the contracts. And, you know, that kind of came to me early on, right? I talk about reading contracts in the book. And uh, they combed through that contract one last time right before I was supposed to sign. And they were like, wait a minute, what happened here in this section of the contract? And that uh, things were removed or changed around. And I was, um, I guess you could say, smart enough to listen to my counsel. And they were like, this is basically not in your best interest. And I went with that and I did not uh, take the next step forward. So, you know, and then um, I would say later, even, you know, um, in my early 20s, and I was sitting down with a, a pretty major executive, and they were telling me that I needed to get rid of my management at the time. And, you know, uh, they needed to be able to make the phone calls they needed to make to move the needle of progress that maybe this person was not experienced enough to do. But because of my loyalty, and um, people were telling me, you know, that were in the industry that were around me, hey, be careful, people want to remove the people that are closest to you, because that way they can control you. 
you know, uh-huh. and um, I, I listened to that wise counsel. And I, I remember even wearing my little power color, you know, into the meeting because I was into color therapy. And, you know, I, like I said, was pretty conscious early on. Um, and when I went into that meeting, I honored myself. And so I think uh, and, and then that I don't know the trajectory that that changed for my in, my career, to be honest with you. <laughs> Because I remember, you know, what the person said to me, but it's okay because I look back now and some of the things that I thought I wanted to happen for me at that time did not happen. But I'm seeing the reflection of some of those desires happen in my 40s, you know, Uh happen 20 something years later. Um, So I, I can appreciate my walk. In hindsight, of course, at the time, I'm like, well, you know, somebody could look back and say, why didn't you let them take your, you know, management and da da da. And then I could look back and say, hey, for all I know, that by honoring myself and staying in alignment with what felt right at the time, I saved my soul. Hey, Nasty. It's awesome. Full <laughs> circle. That is just, Doesn't I mean, it's incredible. And, you know, like a lot of people, they don't know how to negotiate. They're not used to having, like, just not any. You know, you throw something at someone, they just might want it if they're desperate enough. And it, I'm so happy you were able to walk in the way that you were, what you had was sufficient and you didn't feel, you didn't make yourself so desperate. Because some people make themselves feel desperate and then they just go and it's all about money or something. You know, just kind of, you know, they'll sell their soul, their whatever values they have in place, they'll just reject those for whatever, you know, quick gratification that they can get, whether that be money, whether that be a deal, whether that be what have you. So I'm just very blessed that at such a young age, you, you know, you have that, that foresight, that capacity and wisdom. Um, but just speaking of, cause I'm going to kind of jump around. I have, you know, um, an outline, but mm-hmm. speaking of the things that are happening in your forties, I mean, just, can we just talk about some of the highlights just um, what's in vogue alone, the Netflix for your mind, promotion. I was so excited to see that because, okay, for those of you who don't know, you know, who are going to listen to the podcast, I am probably, I can't say I'm one of the biggest Mickey Mouse Club fans from the 90s um, MMC, um, just because I'm probably a little bit younger. So there are people who, you know, went to the show and were at every taping. I never went to a taping, but I love the show. I watch it every Sunday, uh, season seven. I know the, the previous season might come on, you know, different times, but season seven, I remember watching religiously every Sunday when I guess the, the encore would air. So I've been a Rona Bennett fan for over 30 years, and mm-hmm. I'm a big involved fan. And so when you join the group, I was just over the moon. Like, I couldn't believe it. It was like two, two of my favorite worlds combining. Kind of like, I don't know, like a twist. It was like peanut butter and chocolate. I just can't, it was just the best. And so for you to have done so many great things with the group, I'm just like, I'm in heaven. Oh, bless up. That's so The beautiful. Billboard Music Awards, closing it out twice. That's incredible. Very, very grateful. Very grateful. Coming to America. Outfit designed by Ruth Carter. I know, huh? What what a pleasure and privilege. And then both Christmas now streaming on Hulu. Just yeah. aired on TV One. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw it the other day. I hadn't seen it in a while. I mean, that was such a treat. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 for me as a fan, it's just about the content. So you know, being able to go into 
Target in 2018 and buy Electric Cafe. Like, they're still, like, even after all these years, like, you know, the Vogue is on TV. My relatives are calling, like, oh, you know, in Vogue was on. I mean, so I'm just so grateful that you're still doing it and doing it so well. You were on Dancing with the Stars looking beautiful on the orange. Oh, uh, what was it? Hostage feathers. Like, it's just amazing how it's continuing. I'm so happy that you're, you know, able to realize what you wanted to realize. Oh, you're making me smile. Okay. <laughs> I got you a collaboration with Chance the Rapper for his album The Big Day in 2019. Hey now, Empire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you made you reminded me. <laughs> I can even say, and I'm so mad I missed this performance because I've seen you. Well, you are the first time I met you. It was uh, you were doing a presentation in Carson. I remember that. Yes, that was in 2015, and I remember you signed my CD. I have your solo CD. Um, yes, but you did a show at the Hollywood Bowl, um, and I don't think I knew you were going to be there because I would have been there, and you did giving them something he can feel. I think it was for a, a Black Hollywood, Black Hollywood movies. Yes, Black Hollywood like music and movies. And you were there. Um, and you, I think it was an Instagram post or it was a Twitter post, and you talked about how, you know, you um, had lived in Los Angeles so many years and you always wanted to play the Hollywood Bowl, and then you were playing the Hollywood Bowl. Yes, yes, yes. So it just goes to show that, you know, sometimes it's not about instant and right now. It's not about, I mean, sometimes it is about compromising, but some, not never your value system. And mm -hmm. so... Just like you said, it's coming full circle. So the things that you want are coming because you put in the work. So it's not always about now. It's not always right. about now. It's very true. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I know um, the EV fans, are, they're, they're, you have MMT fans, EV fans. I know there's particular questions that they wanted me to ask. One was from one of the co-hosts of the podcast. He said, now that you're living in Georgia, would you be interested in joining Real Housewives of Atlanta? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, I don't think I would. I, that's probably not my best lane. <laughs> right. I mean, we like, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but we just go back and forth on so many things. And some people are like, yes, EB should do a reality show. EB should do a reality show. I'm like, no, absolutely not. Like, I just, you know, reality TV, it's just very, um, I don't know. I think, like, unless you have, like, you have full control and there's, like, a goal and you're, it's a promotional project, right. I just think, you know, it's otherwise they're trying to make, you know, you look, um, uh, how can I say it politely? They're just not trying to show you in your best light. So, okay, um, people have questions about the Soulflower record. Particularly, <laughs> what point did you come in during the recording of Soulflower? Uh, a lot of the album was um, already happening. Mm -hmm. um, so, because uh, Amanda had been there um, mm -hmm. in, in some of those recording sessions. So uh, I was coming in and I don't remember exactly when I came in, but they had, they had already been in the process of making the record. And then I brought in a few records myself and uh, sang some of the stuff that was previously there you know, uh, replace some of Amanda's vocals, uh, things like that. You definitely brought in my favorite track from the record, which was Losing My Mind. Now, I, you have such a great lead vocal. The backgrounds, and I, are Cindy and Terry on that song? They are. Okay. Wow. Yeah. 
so that's, I don't know what that dynamic is like because, you know, you're coming in as a songwriter, which I love. A lot of people don't know that you wrote Let Your Baby Go for Aquila and the Bee. So you are, you're bringing a song to this group and then they ask you to join. What is that like? You, I don't know, like <laughs> unexpected, you know, um, a blessing. And uh, I don't know, that's the biggest word for me is unexpected. That's mm-hmm. what it was. It totally came out of left field, if you will, because I didn't even know I would be joining a group. I thought I was going to have a solo career. Um, but the most high knows best. Right. Because mm-hmm. uh, here we are almost um, 20 years later, still collaborating. So it almost it makes me feel like it was definitely on my path. Yes. I mean, it, like you really brought a lot of life to that record. Like Stop is another standout oh, on the record. You. You sang with so much um. <laughs> um. Okay, so also my personal question, um, because you know I love your solo album. I just well, that you. is just such a good album from start to finish. Um, and there's clips that have been surfacing. I don't know if you've seen them, but there was um, I think you did a show in Spain, and mm-hmm. you were performing "Time Will Tell," which is one of my favorites from the record. But and yeah. I remember you actually told me um that I want to know what love is, David Foster did a version of that song. He produced that song on you. What was that like working with David Foster? He did, but you know, that didn't end up being the version that went to the record. Mm -hmm. Uh, I ended up working with, I can't remember his last name at the moment, Corey. Um, He'd be in the album credits, I'm sure. Um, But that was special just because he's such a legend Mm -hmm. in the business. Um, I remember going to his house and, the big reveal when you go past the gate, you know, and I think there was a trolley going up to the top and it was just an experience. And uh, knowing that he had worked with all these um, other people. And I think he had just made a record with Christina, maybe because we, we talked about Christina Aguilera um, while we were there, but I can't remember everything verbatim, of course, but it was just a treat just because he's such a legend legend in the business. And he was a part of one of my uh, favorite groups from back in the 80s, as far as light rock is concerned, Chicago. Chicago? So, hello. Wait, is that the one Peter Cetera was in? Yeah. I didn't oh, even my know. God. I didn't like, know that. Special. Yeah. Don't now you're going to make don't make me. Let me go over here. But yes, that's what I want to say. David was in Chicago. And I love Chicago's music, or at least there's like two or three songs from them that's just like so classic and legendary to me. I, I don't want to get too far off topic, but when I just think about that, there's some people who like voices that like God had to have put them, you know, in their mouth. You're one of them. Peter Cetera, like just like that voice is just, I, I don't, I, it's just such an interesting voice, like the glory of love from the, what is it? Um, Karate Kid soundtrack, like, how do you sound like that? Like, it's just, oh, it's sure. incredible. But um, but you're definitely one of those people who I think has such an anointed voice. Like, I've listened to you, like I said, I've been following you since the Mickey Mouse stuff. I, I, I forget which season I began. I believe I began watching it season four. It might have been season three. But, you know, so many people's voices, they, you know, they change or, you know, things happen to them. But yours is just, it's, it's just as strong as it's rich. And I'm still excited you know, when I watch you perform and you always, there's just always something you throw in. I feel like you're just that virtuosity that you have with the runs and, you know, so I'm just always excited watching you. <laughs> watching yes, I appreciate you. you. But getting back to your album, it was released 
<laughs> in Japan. With Japan, we never really see like performances come out of there. Like, well, so like you know, like if you're on top of the pop or something, we'll see that. But was there like were you doing televised performances and things like that in Japan? I don't think in Japan. I did uh, stuff in Europe. Okay. Um, I did do Top of the Pops, actually. I want to say in London. But Japan, I don't recall doing any television stuff. But I did have a great promotional run mm-hmm. in Japan, which is why the album did so well. Um, and I did and I did well over in Spain, uh, too. And, and maybe one, I think there was one other um, territory like Austria <laughs> that the record was released in or something like that. There, there was a fan from Spain, and I think we followed each other on Twitter because we both love you so much. I think his name is Jordel or Jordele. It's I know J O R D E L E. So shout out to him. Shout out to him. Yes, we. I mean, we just we just like you're just so immensely talented. Um, and just the one last thing I want to ask about your solo record was. I've asked you this before. Uh, you said that there was a music video that you did for, I forget if it was the first time or the last goodbye that was never released. The first time. Wow. And I, I you know, I've <laughs> been harassing you on, but they're like, can you just, can you put it up? Can you put it up? But I mean, if you don't do that, can you just kind of, you know, give me a visual of like maybe who directed it and like what was going on in the video? Yeah, I don't remember who directed it unfortunately, but it was a one camera video, one, one shot, one camera shot video. So literally from start to finish, uh, they, they planned the whole video. And I believe we were at a, um, like a sound studio. So they, they, you know how they can have the fake streets and the buildings and stuff. I forget what studio we used in LA. Um, and there were lots of actors and it was a big production actually. Um, and it started out in the neighborhood and we went through the neighborhood and, the, you know, the song basically told the story until I don't even remember where we ended it. It may have been in a Jeep with, you know, my my boyfriend in the video or something like that. I really would like because, you know, the video is on a VHS. Mm-hmm. I want to see if I can get it converted. Uh, I don't even know where to go now for something like that. But I would love to get it converted so that that I could put it online. I think it could be a real treat to just kind of uh, put that out there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That would be kind of cool. So I got to figure out how to pull that off. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see it because that that whole era and like now, um, what do they call them? The aughts or the the Nazis, the the early 2000s, like that's beginning to come back into, I guess, vogue for lack of a better term. And I'm just so happy you were, you were able to be a part of that era. And I just remember how excited I was. Like I said, people know I love in vogue, they know I love you. Um, so I remember being at my friend Samia's house and we were talking about you and she was like, oh yeah, you know, they put our video on one of the heart. I was like, what? And so, I mean, I'm just... Old school, 106 and 5. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so I know anything about that. I don't even know if they play music videos anymore. They probably have to go to Vivo or YouTube or something. But back in the day, like, that was the thing. Like, you went on 106 and Park and you weren't on there. But they, I forget what they call. Maybe they were called New Joint. But right. you were the New Joint of the day. And Samia told me you were the New Joint of the day. And I was like, what? Because that, I think, was after the Jamie Foxx show. Mm-hmm. I was like... Wow. So I was so excited to um for that. And then I really was super excited when you joined the Vogue. I remember that at the prom, how excited. Um and just 
like <laughs> you the the Invo Craze, which you know is the kind of the sponsor of our podcast. Shout out to everybody and from yeah. Matthew, right? Yeah, shout out yeah. to Matthew because we have been just loving on you since I mean, as a member of Invo since two thousand and three, and it, 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 it for me like it's still kind of unbelievable because it's like I said, two of my favorite things together. And we haven't even got to the Mickey Mouse Club yet. I don't know how much time we have. We remember running out just giving you like the 10-minute, five-minute mark. But um, I want to kind of jump back into the book because in the context of the book, soul can mean two things. Um, most likely it's referencing one spiritual being. However, soul can also be the pure artistry that artists such as Aretha Franklin and James Brown channeled when making music and that James Baldwin called upon when composing literature. Why did you title a book about the music business saving your soul? You kind of already touched on that, but so I guess the question I'll rework it. Um, is there a component of soul music in the title Saving Your Soul? Is there like a like a like I married the two, if you will? Yes. Yeah, I mean, well, um, I think when I said soul for this title, it really was about the, the soul of our music, our creativity, and the soul of us, who we are um, mm-hmm. as beings, and being able to operate, hopefully, in as much of our authenticity as possible. And to, as you mentioned earlier, get back to our value system if we feel we're out of alignment with the results that we want in our experiences. So it, it was more so that the soul of our creativity, that which is produced from us, and then the soul of who we are, our authenticity and being able to operate from that in our value system. Okay, um, because it's like soul music, I think it was like one of the veins of the black community in the United States. And mm-hmm. now it just looks like in a way that it's kind of being dismantled and eroded. And Miss Elliot said something interesting about an executive mentioning to her that people are kind of oversinging. And when I think of soul, of course, there's the you know the, the spiritual you know entity of a soul, but then there's also just like soul music, how just kind of cut in a way clutches at that spiritual soul that we have, and that's what brought us through so many things. It brought us through slavery. It brought us through reconstruction. It brought us through. Uh, you know, this the fact of segregation, the jury segregation, and all kind of other things. And now, like, that kind of soul music just doesn't exist. And you being in that tradition of being a soul singer, you sang with the, the soul children of Chicago. You have the gospel background, which is probably one of the reasons why your voice is so anointed. But, um, and then being R&B, which is a, I guess, a child of soul music. Are you in any way concerned that maybe the selling of the souls is another reason why the soul kind of uh, the soul music is not really there in the music industry anymore? I don't think it's necessarily that we lack soul anymore. I think it's the powers that be that aren't allowing it to come through the airwaves Mm. uh, on a a popular level. For example, I was just talking to somebody the other day and I was like, yo, we have not you can tell me if I'm wrong, but there is not even anyone closely resembling a um, Luther Vandross on the radio right now. Absolutely not. Like We're so light years away from that in a sense of pop radio. But if you just, you know, go to satellite radio, you might, you're going to get some more um, smatterings of people that are coming up that have been in the business like me that are getting back to the basics, if you will. And then if you go to some soul, some clubs, 
you know, in in some hardy cities like Chicago or Atlanta or New York or Philly, you're going to start hearing people that are still tapped in. So I don't think that we as a people lack the soul. I just think that what they're allowing uh, through the airwaves is not a reflection of it. And that's what I think needs the tweaking. That's what needs the help. So the executives need some soul. You don't know who's in, you know, who, who who's in charge, if they're, how in touch they are with it, you know, um, and, and if they want it that way, you know, depending on the results you want in our society and what you want us doing as a people and what you want us focused on, you know, when we, when we, um, I feel we're operating in a society where love was able to come through the airways, you had different types of relationships. We sang about things differently. We had a different message. We nurtured family differently. It's not something that they're necessarily allowing through. And a question for us could be, well, why not? <laughs> that is a million dollar question. Uh, but I, I too, and I'm in, you know, Los Angeles. Um, so I can't, I, I don't want to say we're cut off from the soul music because that wouldn't be true because I mean, there's a lot of great artists who come through Los Angeles, but I mean, just, I guess maybe demographically, like I can't just go to like, you know, some things that might be available in Chicago and are in a, Atlanta or in the Detroit or someplace like that, but just the tones that I do hear, it's like your tone, like where your voice sits and how rich it is and how resonant it is and how powerful it is. Someone like a Luther, like I hope there are some people with those tones because like now everybody, it seems like their voices are kind of just higher, like everyone, even men are sopranos, like nobody kind of really sings with that, you know, that kind of just depth that you have and a lot of you know, gospel singers and people from other generations. So I, I'll be optimistic and hope that it's still there, but it's just like that voice that kind of, you know, that brought us through so much in this country. I, I miss hearing it. <laughs> well, first and foremost, you're so kind to me, okay? I appreciate uh, the things that you say about um, what you feel I do. I really do think that they're out here uh, in more ways than we can imagine. I just think that... Um, we we just got to be willing to be deliberate about going out and, and supporting them. Um, if we're waiting for radio to deliver them to us, yeah, we could be waiting and twiddling our thumbs. But I think if we get out there um, and start uh, going back to the clubs and creating the atmosphere for that, right? Like come out of the digital world, get back into the organic one. Um, those of us who really want to hear it, like you sound so well-versed in music and your ability to describe it. And I mean, people like yourself, I feel, need to be out there making those club nights that invite that kind of sound and that kind of atmosphere to be nurtured. And and people will probably come out in droves to support it because I think we're hungry for it. When we hear it, we love it for for the most part. That's what I feel I notice. You know, you're right. I have to start being more proactive and making kind of, you know, facilitating uh, space for some of the things that I would like to see stepping mm-hmm. out of the matrix. <laughs> yes, <sir>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, and I mean, like the book, like, I mean, I could just go on and on and on and on about it. Like, I think my last question specifically about the book that I have was um, one of the underlying themes of Saving the Soul is adaptation. And, uh, you know, I guess some children of adaptation could be flexibility, um, but, uh, but specifically adaptation. And you detail how the music industry has changed throughout the decades and even in recent years with the COVID-19 pandemic stopping performers in their tracks. 
one adaptation your group leverage with the drive through concert, which I attended. So in being adaptable, do you ever consider initiating changes that others will have to adapt to? Well, if it ever came to me as an inspiration, I think I'm bold enough to take a shot at it, but I haven't had <laughs> I haven't had that inspiration hit me to where I want to blaze a completely new trail. As it stands right now, I'm probably just kind of um uniquely uh approaching what's already there, or at least hopefully uniquely approaching what's already there. Because that's just so much craziness. I don't know if you saw FN Mika. Uh, this artificial intelligence kind of, um, he's a rapper. I forget which company made him, but it was like this art, like basically like a Sims, but. I heard about that. I think I saw a quick clip of him. Mm-hmm. Or I was like, I really hope this is not the way that the music industry is going, but you know, with, there was already the talk of the holograms with like, you know, the Tupac hologram. I think they were even going to do that with Miss Houston. Um, and so now I guess it's like creating a totally new character. And then, you know, you have James Earl Jones selling the right to his voice. So his voice to be manipulated, I guess, however, Lucasfilm or, you know, um, Disney wants it to be. Wow. Like, right, yeah, he sold the right to his voice. So I'm like, is that going to be the next thing where everything is just kind of like um, artificial? Like, I don't know if you're into Star Wars. It's actually your old co-star, Carrie Russell. She was in the last one, um, but also in the last one was Carrie Fisher. Interesting, they have the same first name. Mm-hmm. But Carrie Fisher is no longer with us. So I'm just saying, like, <laughs> soon will it be, you know, everyone is kind of their own avatar and you can do whatever you want with them, you can make whatever kind of sound you want with them. I mean, um, that's another thing, like if the soul actually being attached to a human body. Now it's like, what is it going to be trans soul? Like what, what, what's happening? Where are we going in the music industry? Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> I mean, you're kind of touching on it. Hello. Um, that is so interesting to hear that he sold the rights to his voice. Wow. I didn't know that. But it doesn't surprise me in the sense that I feel like we're being prepped as a society for this kind of living. I mean, even the stuff that they put on Facebook where they want you to design your avatar, um, you know, it, it keeps kind of introducing this concept, I feel, of being a cartoon of yourself, further taking us away, uh, more away from our organic nature. There's this book I was reading, I can't remember it at the moment, the title, but it was, I want to say, written by the second top AI guy in China, artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And he, he was talking about, you know, kind of the race to the top um, between uh, America and China in particular, because I think they're kind of the top two uh, for um, who's going to get most advancement in artificial intelligence. And one of the things he mentioned in the book that I find, it'll, I think it's going to be true, is that eventually as a human race, we're going to be like hungry for human touch and connection and organic interaction and experience. And so, you know, even though a lot of the jobs that we're familiar with now, um, whether clerical or janitorial or anything that maybe automation or a robot could take over, um, even though those things may phase out, we're going to possibly be creating, creating a whole other industry where we're able to touch and still feel and connect with one another. So he was talking about like a season changer <laughs> where a person comes in your home and they change your home over for the seasons or just things where we still um, are creative, but we still find a way to connect. I think 
I'd like to see that as well, even though we are moving in this avatar space. And I think the metaverse is trying to pull us into all of this stuff is kind of, I feel, trying to draw us in and take us away from whatever reality. Hello, because I I heard you say earlier, we could go down the rabbit hole. I can definitely do that. (laughs) Whatever reality we think we're in is trying to suck us into another one. And it'll be interesting to see how we as organic uh, morontial, if you will, beings uh, stay connected. And I think we're going to find ways to do it because we are built on connection. You know how they say when uh, newborns come in, if they don't get a certain amount of attention and or love, they can pass away. And so I think that um, we as human beings are still built on connection and we'll find a way to connect. I definitely hope so. It's just, you know, the world, ah, we could just go on and on and on and on and on about that. But like I said earlier, your your light shines and all of us. It's so great that we have people in the industry that are still, you know, um, you know, light and that are mentors and are people that we can kind of look to. Um, we are so grateful to have you on. Our last um, season, we closed with uh, the discussion about an easy biopic. There is an easy insider who let us know that easy is in talk um, with a major studio to do a biopic. And I don't know if you can talk about that. I'll just um, put that on the table if you can't anything about it. But my question to you will be, I know you get this all the time. Um, <laughs> who would you want to play you um, in the easy biopic? I will actually tell you first that my top question was this model named Riley Montana. I don't know if you've seen her. I think she's actually from the Midwest. I had, um, you know, reasons for why I picked everyone who I picked. She's very, she's a very beautiful girl. I think my co-host Josh Jenkins, he picked Yaya Zacosta. I'm sure you know Yaya. She was on America's Next Top Model, and I think she played Whitney Houston and the biopic that Lifetime did that was directed by Angela Bassett and Deborah Fox did the singing. Yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know if I've given that any real thought, to be honest with you. I would be open to what someone else actually thought about that. I don't even have an opinion. So I really I'm guessing don't. there's nothing to tell us about the project at this time. No, of course not. I mean, okay. <laughs> 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 well, you- it's unfolding in, in the EV world, right? Mm-hmm. So, right. Well, will you be act? Will we be seeing you act anytime soon? I mean, at the moment, nothing's on the table, but I am totally open to continuing to stretch in that way. And you just never know um, what might come up that will give me the opportunity to do so. So I'm open to doing it for sure. Because you're such a great actress, and I guess we'll kind of kind of start with. I just want to ask a few questions about Cindy Mouse, but but. And you talk about it being such a great training ground. And I mean, when I think about it, like you were doing like sketch comedy, there was Emerald Cult, you were doing drama. I mean, it's just like, what can't you do? <laughs> Probably plenty, but thank you. <laughs> were you a dancer prior to joining the Mickey Mouse Club? I don't know if I would have called myself a dancer, but I definitely took dance classes. I uh, would say I, I did come into the creative world in a well-rounded fashion. You know, I took dance classes as a little girl. Um, I started acting in a, a, you know, playhouse on the South side of Chicago around 12 years old. Um, And I was taking voice lessons probably as early as 12 or 11. 
11 years old. So I was definitely in the big three pretty early on. Just well-rounded. And um, I know like your break with Luther's Place. And I actually, I don't know if I bought the DVD or I think it's Amazon Prime, but I was watching the show and my favorite episode was the one where you and the other um, young girl were doing singing lessons. And your mom was actually in that episode and Oprah. I thought that was so cool. It was. My mother was so nervous. It's so hilarious. But I needed a mother. And they're like, why don't you let her mother be your mother? My mother's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but it's so cute to look back on. So, yeah, that was that was pretty awesome. It's just all those incredible memories that you have. That's, you know, God really, you know, laid it out very nicely for you having, like you said, being 18 and having been on a spiritual journey. Like some people, like, you know, they're given certain things, like even, you know, some people in their 30s or 40s who haven't had anything and have access to certain things like that can just kind of change the whole trajectory in a negative way. But he's really, you know, kept you. Um, Mm -hmm. And so just because, you know, I love the Mickey Mouse Club so much, I was so happy to see you at the 30th anniversary in Orlando. That was a magical experience. So I thank Dale and Chase, and I think they were the organizers of that event. Yeah, shout out to my brothers and everybody who was a part of making that happen. It turned out so great. I mean, Tasha, Jennifer, Jason, like, I just couldn't believe it. Like, I don't know. And I don't, I, I, I feel like maybe there's certain things I can articulate well, but just my love for the show, I don't feel like I can ever truly just articulate how much joy I had sitting in my living room watching you all. I love you all so much. And so... I remember coming into that, um, this was Megacon, I believe it was. I remember going into one of those large rooms and just seeing you guys all lined up. And so first it was Tasha Danner. And I was just talking like, Tasha, I'm so, 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 so nervous. Like, I can't, like, you guys are my, I was so nervous meeting you. And she was so kind. And then you were second and you made sure I was together. Like, you were like, no, this is how you take a picture. And, Nita, of course, was there, and she was just as grand as I thought she would be. Like, yes, and <laughs> just the camaraderie that you guys all have. I mean, to see you know you you all grow into these just well-rounded individuals that are about family and just have good energy. You're good people. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, I'm so proud of everybody. And I'm so grateful for the relationship that we still have all these years later. It, it really is a special thing, I think. So I guess my life, I, I want to start wrapping up because I don't want to keep you too long. But if there was a season eight, would you have returned? Absolutely. We were all sobbing. Uh, when it was over. I mean, we understood we were all older, right? I was probably 18, if not going on 18. And uh, I don't know. The show ended up ending. But yeah, if they brought us back, I'm pretty sure I would have been back. Oh, like I'm telling you for years, I was waiting for the show to come back on. But I, the legacy of it, so I guess like, like what's the buzz with everything else? You want to leave people wanting more. And we definitely want more from you and from all the masters. Um Rona, thank you so much for allowing me to interview you. I look forward to all that you will give to the world in the future. And I wish you joy and happiness. But above all this, I wish you love. Because <laughs> I know you said that was your go-to song. 
with uh, you, you auditioned to Death Row with I Will Always Love You. Yes. Oh, look at you. You did your, your research homework. I have to say you've done a fantastic job uh, in this interview. Yes. And and um, I really appreciate your support, your stellar support after all these years. I want to shout out everybody on the fan cast. You guys do an excellent job of the shows that I've heard. I really enjoy the banter and the in-depth uh, analysis <laughs> of some things is really cool. Uh, shout out to everybody that listens to the podcast, um, everybody that supports uh, in Vogue and all of its transitions, everybody from the MMC that's tuned in and that has been an incredible support pillar for me and others all these years later, just everybody. Uh, so just a big old thank you for today. This was really fun and a nice trip down memory lane, if you will. Well, thank you so much. And now it's time to say goodbye to all our company. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Let me bring them all today. <laughs> So until next time, this is McCann for the Part of Us Fancast. Signing out. All right now. Peace. Babe. This is what I'm going to need from you. Oh, my goodness. Listen. Don't take another step. Don't say another word. Because I don't want to say something I don't need. episode of Part of Us, an InVote fancast, was researched and written by Matan and produced and edited by Matthew at Culture Inject Productions. We're more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on InVote and chat with other fans by visiting InVote Craze on Facebook. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram at InVote Craze and Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Part of Us, an InVote fancast, is not endorsed by InVote, E1 Music, or Invoke Records, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Invoke and its names, images, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of the respective copyright holders. All I see is red on my last thread.